guests, guests, and more guests today on Mitch Unfiltered. Mm-hmm. Award-winning NFL writer Peter King on the insanely interesting final two weeks of the NFL season, Jason Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Former Mets general manager Steve Phillips on the Hot Stove League, telling us where Bryce Harper and Manny Machado will land. And he's got plenty to say on the crazy Mariners offseason. CBS basketball insider John Rothstein. Ever heard of him? Oh, yeah. Good Pretty stuff. Pretty good. Oh, yeah. Pretty good insider. First guy to report that former McDonald's All-American Quad A Green. Got it? Quad A Green. I called him Quaid. Quad A Green was in mm-hmm. Seattle visiting the University of Washington after leaving John Calipari in Kentucky. He was here this week. And as I've mentioned over and over again, I'm indebted to my three sponsors, the charter sponsors, who've made this comeback and podcast possible. Daniel's Broiler, Jag Land Rover of Bellevue, and Zeke's Pizza, the best place to watch the game on Sunday night, Hawks Chiefs, and do so while enjoying fantastic pizza and an assortment of craft beer. When my family does our annual March Madness pool, no. we choose the same place every year. Zeke's Pizza, 14 locations, and homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. This Seahawks turnaround is remarkable. Remember, they can't win a preseason game. And then two games into the regular year, we're looking forward to the NFL draft in 2019. And now three months later, we're asking wild card number one or wild card number two, and who would you rather play in the first round of the playoffs? Amazing. Unfiltered. I don't know. It just seems to me that if Jerry DePoto and the Mariners are going to make all these trades look beyond 2019, well, then they can't expect everyone to pay the same ticket prices as they did for an 89-win team in 2018. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode number nine. Got the number right and everything. You want to do a count? One, two, three. Go ahead. I'm just glad that you've got the, the right episode. You know, I got it. See, here's what people need to understand yes. who are listening to Mitch Unfiltered. You like to edit the things that you do wrong out. That's so much bull. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. No, no one's done it Go yet. Go ahead. No one's done it yet. Jason Lockenfora did it. He 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 dropped a little something. Did he? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember yeah. that. I must not have gotten it. You like to edit out the things that you do wrong, but the yeah. things that you and I talk about that I do wrong, yes, that are editable. Do you know how many things of yours I've edited? You don't have any idea how many things of yours I've edited out. So many. Yes, I have. Yeah. I just didn't do. I didn't know that yeah. you. Re- did you really want me to do the KJ Bobby? Well, I would have. All you got to do after the the recording is say, "Hey, listen, I want you to take this out." When I sound like an idiot, take it out. Yeah. So what you just already started saying. In this episode number nine, yeah, is there so many dumb things I've said that you've had to edit them <laughs> no, out? I yes, didn't. yeah. Listen back, I, I listen know. back. No, 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 no. I want you to listen back to this beginning and understand no. what you just said. That's not nice. Hey, listen, the, yes. the fans of this show, the yes. the the, the, fans? Pa- the the patrons, yes. and the people who listen, uh huh, will have heard that first thirty seconds, and they will say. Unless you edit it out, Mitch, they will say, that's exactly what you said, Mitch. You basically said, there's so many dumb things you've said that I've edited out, you have no idea. 
I'm just saying that you think that I leave everything that you do untouched and I take out and 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 cover up my mistakes and I'm just trying to I'm trying to impress upon you yeah. that there have been plenty of times that I have spliced and diced. Oh, you're dancing right now. You yes. are dancing. I've spliced and diced uh-huh. you just as much probably not as much as me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm rusty. You're not. You have no excuse. I've been off for 15 months. You've been doing this okay. thing routinely. Okay. On the Washington Huskies uh, listen, radio I'm, network. I'm over it. I'm just. I'm just okay. going to let you know that I've spoken. All right. I've said what I need to say about the subject. All right. And I'm going to. All tweet right. So about it. I need. I need your profession. I'm going to show you. I'm going to lean back, and you're going to. I'm going to fall back, and you're going to catch me. I need your professional opinion on a couple things. Okay. One of which, actually, it's already done, so there's really no flexibility. So we did Mr. Postseason. We didn't do Mr. Postseason on the last Monday on episode eight right. because we had Carolina in New Orleans mm-hmm. that night. Mm-hmm. And then we released this this Mr. Postseason for the patrons that was wildly successful. Robust. It was successful, too. Yeah. Ask me how I know it was how successful. How do you know, Mitch? I have absolutely no Okay, idea. good. I don't even know Anecdotally. It was. <laughs> it, it's just I'm just making that up. But um, it was 41 minutes, and it answered a lot of questions, a lot of That's misinformation good. out there. A lot of guys that we love and trust are spreading wrong. Even e- I even said ESPN's playoff machine where yeah. you punch in different things and it spits out the yeah. – even that's wrong. There's there's instances where that's wrong. So we did 41 minutes for just the patrons, mm-hmm. but the only – and I, you know I'm already getting grief. Hey, you're only doing it for the patrons? So you have to pay to see here Mr. Postseason? And the reason that it was for patrons was because Monday we, we drop on Mondays, right. and there was an NFC game that had a lot of implications for the Saints – so we had to wait for Mr. Postseason until Tuesday. So we yes, we did it for the patrons. But I don't want to I don't want to start getting into this pissing match with people because certain things are for patrons and certain things are on the regular show. So now here we are, and I didn't know what to do. We did 41 minutes of the damn thing. And I was gonna lift it up and just put it into this show so that every so the world could hear it. And so what I decided to do, and I hope. It was a good idea, and you'll tell me tomorrow after you listen to this back. Hopefully, yeah, you will. I will. Um, I just recorded one without. I just recorded one today. That's like twenty-five minutes long, not forty-one. Where I went through everything with music. I put music under like a pre-produced Mister oh, Postseason. But as I was listening to it back, I was thinking, God, a that's given me a headache, and B, I'm not. It may be so complicated. This. It's it's never been this complicated with two weeks to go. I don't think I've ever in all the years I'm doing it on so many KJR, scenarios. I don't remember it being so complicated, mm. and I was wondering, geez, am, am I making any? Is anybody following this? You know, if you're driving around, going to work, and listening to this, can you follow this? Do mm-hmm. you even try? I mean, does mm-hmm. it give you a headache trying to follow? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I, I'm. I tried something different, and I don't know. You'll you'll tell me tomorrow. So you were basically talking to yourself and hope, right. hoping that everybody understood what you were talking about. Right. Okay. Well. Right. Yeah. And I had like NBC music on. You know, Sunday Night Football. Oh, that's the best. I put some. I put some Get Fox yeah. in there. That's the best. And so that's going to be segment number two. Mm-hmm. Segment number two of episode number nine. I got all the numbers. Yeah, you're on. You're on it. Episode number nine, segment two. This is segment one. Segment two will be Mr. Postseason, okay. and then. Steve Phillips, I'm not sure what order yet. As we record this, I'm not even sure what order I'm going to do. Basically, you're you're not that prepared today. Yeah, I am totally oh, prepared. Okay, good. Totally prepared. All right. Um, but I've got this list of things that I want to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that I think people want to hear about. And I don't know, where do you stand on the whole National Signing Day? This is a big thing for a lot of people. I, I remember I remember when my bosses over there mm-hmm. um, said years ago, we want you, when they got the Huskies rights, when the Huskies became a property of KJR, sure, sure. I remember when my bosses said, hey, Mitch, what about doing the show on National Signing Day from like the Founders Club? Mm-hmm. And we went over and we did it. We did it for a few years. Is it is it sacrilegious for me to say I'm not a big signing day guy? It's not sacrilegious, but I, I, I totally get it. I, I fall into that camp. And listen, for two people that are aligned in this deal where – I, I just want I just want somebody to to love the school and the choice that they make and go to that school and and play and go to school and be great. The the fanfare around oh, the it, whole thing. I, I I I particularly I hate it. You do. I do. Okay, so you and I are kind of. This I, is not going to make good podcast. No, I was going to say good radio. No, the, this is not going to make good podcast because no. we're not going to disagree but, on this. But guess what? Here, yeah. here's the other. Thing. I understand the passion and the fervor for yeah. everybody who does love, who yeah. follows the recruiting sites, and who is ex- super super excited about who is signing to to which school yeah. i totally understand that and that's sort of, it's not my thing it's not i i don't get excited about that because here's what i also do know having played having coached having been in that situation having been around college athletics for 30 years not everybody who's good pans out and not everybody who supposed to be bad is bad. Exactly. Some end up and so great. there's a lot of fanfare and a lot of push towards like, this is the great, look at the rankings and listen. And it means absolutely nothing until you play games. Got it. But I want to be clear. Uh, we may be talking about two slightly we are. different things. We are. Because I am a big fan of following recruiting, especially in college basketball. Like yeah. when Syracuse is hot after so-and-so, Quad A Green. Yeah. They were once hot after. I love following it and seeing who my teams get and I get all that. It's not that that I that I that I detest. It's <laughs> detest. detest is kind of a strong word. Yeah. But it's the day. It's the hats. Yeah. It's the going on ESPN with four hats sure. and putting the right hat on. It's the announcements. It's the it it's the day. I don't love the day. Mm-hmm. I like I like following who's getting who. You and, do. Yeah, oh yeah. I just don't like the whole day. And for me it's like all these guys, the guys like to, today that are signing Many of them, most of them, are not even going to step onto a football field for two years, right? They're going to be redshirted. A lot of these guys yeah, are going to be redshirted. Yeah. They're going to be re- they're going to come out, and you know, I, I don't know. It's just so I don't have an interview for National Signing Day. Mm-hmm. So I, for those who are waiting for that, you're going to be disappointed with podcast number episode number nine mm-hmm. of Mitch Unfiltered. Mm-hmm. But we can go over a couple of the guys. I get a kick out of today's story, which was um, Chris Peterson. He's, he's on the attack again. The vultures. He called them the vultures. The coaches that offer scholarships or continue to call guys that have verbally, you say it's verbally committed. Yeah. And we just don't do that. We just do things differently here. Something like that, mm-hmm. Chris Peterson said. Mm-hmm. He's annoyed because I guess Notre Dame is after one of his guys yeah. um, that, that's or sorry verbally committed. Um and uh, yeah, one of the calls do, do you yeah. do you agree do do you believe him when he says we do things different and so at Boise State and here 
Washington's never called a guy yeah. or talked to a guy that's verbally committed somewhere well, else. Well, I mean, I can't speak to his entire track record. I would yeah. say in coaching, in my experience, coaches and coaches that recruit for a living, yeah. do they call kids that have verbally committed? Yeah. Absolutely they do. Now, does Chris Peterson and their staff have something different that I – I mean, I'm not in the football deal. That's not you – know, I don't have that the, the inside track on that. Um, I will say this. And the numbers bear it out based on something I saw the other day. Washington is very, very selective about who they offer. So I think their philosophy is very different. Mm. And so they probably think, mm. listen, when we make a commitment to a kid and offer a kid and they commit to us, we have an expectation that that, that commitment is solid gold. It is, it is a bond. And when there's some wavering, I think they're willing to say, listen, if you're not willing to come with us when you said you were, uh, you're, you're not the right guy for us. I think John Calipari heard Chris Peterson and went, that's right. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't, we do things like they do yeah, over there right. at the University of So yeah. here are a couple of names. I, I, I find myself asking you every show at some time, it's a little game that we like to play. Do you know, what does the name so-and-so mean to you? Uh, Fa'atui Tuatili. Yeah. Is their number is their highest recruit. Monster. By the way, they were they were sixteenth, seventeenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth in the yeah. country, if that means anything to you. Yeah. Uh their number one recruit was not a five star guy. Apparently he was a four star guy, number forty in the country. It seems like they got some real defensive line guys at the top of their class. A guy from Hawaii. This is the guy from Hawaii. They got a guy named Jacob Bandis, who's a defensive tackle, forty seventh in the country. Um they got a guy named, I don't know, Latu, Latu. 239 pounds, uh, defensive end. Uh, sorry, not 239 pounds. He was the 239th uh, ranked Briggs. recruit, mm -hmm. a defensive end. They got a quarterback from Graham, Washington, and that's a funny story because I've heard about him for a long time through a, a mutual friend of ours oh, who yeah. happens to have a quarterback in the same a class. Yeah. A, a guy who used to go to the University of Washington yeah. and start at the University of Washington mm -hmm. and took his University of Washington team to the Orange Bowl in a near that. national championship. He has a son, I don't know if you know this, yeah. who is in that same class, and apparently Chris Peterson um, – was hot on this guy for years, mm -hmm. this other guy. Mm -hmm. And that didn't sit well in a certain household. Yeah, I can and see And so that. this other kid, the son of the guy that you and I know, mm -hmm. uh, ended up at the University of Oregon, who, by the way, has the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12 and one of the top recruiting classes in the country. That's right. And so, so there's that. Anyway, National Signing Day was item number one on my list. I'm sorry we don't have an interview. We've got interviews about everything else You'll have to you'll have to live with. Can I that. can I add one thing? Sure. Okay. The one thing I will add is there has been a lot of national talk about how poorly the Pac-12 has performed, not only on the field but in right. recruiting. Right. And I didn't I, know that. I didn't know about recruiting. I know oh on yeah, the field. In, yeah, in recruiting. Yeah. And I will say that Washington, and I referenced the number of offers that they put out to people and the yeah. number of. Yeah, you're looking at me and you're smiling at me because you're you're thinking I'm going to prop up Washington. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I, I, I absolutely am. <laughs> I absolutely am. But I think it's interesting that even nationally, there's a lot of recruits from California that are going elsewhere. I think Washington is different in their philosophy and who they want to bring in and and coach Pete's deal. But it, you know, this National Signing Day, um, it's a big deal. Certainly, it's a big deal. But I still think Washington crushed it today. 
Look at you. They crushed it. How do you know? I thought you didn't follow it. I don't follow it. Like, I know every single player, and I follow their right. star ranking. But you think they crushed it. I follow enough guys that follow it I see. to you, say- You're a follower of a follower. I follow people that know what the hell they're talking about. You got a guy. I, I should get the heck out of here. You got a guy. <laughs> you got a guy. I got a guy. You got, you got, you got a guy. Yeah. All right. Item number. Ring the bell. You got the bell. And can you put your phone Put your phone I down? I can't. I tweeted out a photo of you. Oh, No. Oh, oh, I just changed the whole you thing. You did not. I did. So I was just I was just gauging a response on that. You did not. I did. You can't sneak a picture. I snuck a photo of you. You can at least tell me when you're going to sneak a picture. That's not fair. It's not fair. That's totally that's totally out of bounds. Okay. I don't like my pictures taken and I at least like to know when I you know so I could smile yeah. or something. Let me see the picture. No. We go on to item number 2. All right, ring the bell. <laughs> item number 2. Um, Pat Mahomes is coming to town. Yeah. Santa and Pat Mahomes uh-huh. coming to town. Yep. Hunt's ketchup. Did you see he signed a deal I with did. Hunt's That's ketchup? That's disgusting. The fact that he would just, that is, he would just annihilate Is it the Hunt's steak. or is it the ketchup? The, no, it's, well, first of all, who does that to a proper steak? You well, he, a, he puts you, it on macaroni and cheese, he said. I mean, then he's, He loves ketchup. He's disturbed. And, okay. Uh, Bob Levy story. Okay. 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 He carried around packets. Of Heinz? Heinz ketchup. Like the packets you get in McDonald's, he carried <laughs> yes. them around. And put yeah. them on what? Everything. He carried around for a long time. In fact, oh uh, what I recall goodness. is he took them, he took them like to Europe when we went as a family, no. like when I was a kid. I don't want to believe took, this. And he took, he took Heinz ketchup packets to Europe, yeah. He loved ketchup. He would put ketchup on anything. And he loves steak, but he put ketchup on steak. Oh, uh, yeah. That's just... You just don't do How about that. A1 steak sauce? No. If you cook... A you think st- Lindsay would be pissed at us if we put ketchup Not on us. one of his Not us. broiler steaks? Not us, because he'd only be mad at you, because I would never do that. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, are you excited to see Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs on I, Sunday I'm night? A, I'm going to be there. So I'm, I'm looking now, forward to that game. I know I'm going to be in trouble for this. I'm going to say it. Uh, we're not going to have time today on this podcast, mm. on this episode, for Tale of the Tape, but we will do a Tale of the Tape for the patrons. <laughs> Sorry. It's a classic Tale of the Tape, by the way. Oh, boy. So you're just, trying, I, to, you're just trying to make people mad now, right? No, the pat- I really The wasn't. patrons are cheering. Have, they're going to get good stuff on this podcast. Okay. I promise. All right. I would never not deliver good stuff on the regular okay. podcast. All right. Um, I can't believe you did that. Thanks a lot. Thank you for that. You could at least tell me when you're going to snap I, a picture. Okay. I snapped um, a photo of you. Uh, hit the bell for 2A. That was 2. This is 2A. Okay. Win-win. Win-win. Loss-win. Loss-win. Win-loss. Win-loss. Loss-loss. Loss-loss. Rank them in order. Seahawks, last two weeks. What's your favorite? Win-win. <laughs> Win-win. You, you, you always got to get the win. Win-win. Win-win. These are the two results. Win-win. Yeah. That would make them 10-6 and six and we'd give them everything. Yeah. What's your second choice win loss yeah. loss win or loss. loss loss no loss win there you go you got the afc <laughs> nfc i'm <laughs> catching on i i didn't know a lot of the <laughs> listen the patrons know i struggled a little bit last week but i'm, I'm back no they don't I'm because back. i edited that out oh you did thank you thank you thank you <laughs> all right so you want win win followed by loss win yes Followed by win loss, and could you imagine if they go loss, out on a three game, three game losing streak and San even Francisco talk about game? It. Don't talk mm, about. Oh my God! I ring the bell for th- number three. T Mobile Park. Oh, 
How you feel about that? It's it's pink. I like okay. I'm gonna say something here, and it's gonna m- m- sound like I don't like pink. I happen to like pink. Are you a pink fan? Sure. I like pink. Um, I wear pink on occasion. Mm-hmm. My son loves pink. Mm-hmm. My little one. Mm-hmm. He wears uh, his slides when he goes to the gym and mm. everything else. Pink. He's got a lot of pink. I like pink, but. If they don't do away with that pink light on the stadium, whatever that thing is, to, to, is that going to be? Is that of a forever thing? That's their brand. That's going to be there every night. Have you, you one hundred six eighty one nights of the year? You know where you live. Have you not driven by Factoria? Yes, at night? I have. Then why would you think they would okay. change their brand? Okay. First of all, I think Pepto Bismol. Oh, come when on. I see the pink on Listen. on on Safeco, sorry, T Mobile, what is it? T Mobile Park. Park. They can't do the whole pink thing every night. That whole thing with the lights and everything, no. Of course they can. No, no, they can't. Yes. A lot of people are not happy with that. I'm reading it. They got to stop right now. We got to put an end to that right now. I know that pink's their color. I can do it on occasion. I like pink, but the whole home plate entrance to T-Mobile Park, Park. I can't have that 81 games a year. I, I can't. Please. That, that that's terrible. Night it's terrible. Night games and terrible. In the, terrible. Charles. Yeah. Night games in the summer. It, it's not going to be that. I mean, w- 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 it doesn't get dark. You're not going to see. Okay. It. Let's re. Let's put this discussion aside. Okay. I'm going to get you some tickets. Right. I'm going to get you some tickets. Yeah. And then we're going to, if this podcast is still yeah. going, <laughs> if we can make it to July, if we can make it to July. You and I will have this conversation again, and All you right. will come in here at some point. You will say, "I know that we're." I just want to say that you were right. You're going to say, Mitch, you were right. It's too much, too often. I, I don't know whether their plan is to do it the whole time, but that pink thing is going to get tired in a hurry. You're wrong. You're wrong. You like it. You want it. You're a marketer. You're a PR yeah, guy. Yeah, there's want. no way you would change your brand. You're just I'm not simply asking, wrong. No, I'm not asking to change your brand. I'm just saying turn the light, turn I know, the pink I know, lights but up. I'm saying I don't need Pepto-Bismol every night oh, that I go Here you go. into I just don't need it every night, I, once in a while. Just so you we're clear, I'm not asking them to change their brand. And that's not, I'm saying that is their brand. I know it is. So I'm not stupid. Okay, I know it is. So do we have to have it on the field? If it's their the brand, you're okay. not following this. Okay. If it's their brand, okay. they're not going to change it. All right. Well, I'm putting my hand up as saying oh, no. Boy. Ring the bell. Number four, uh, pro bowlers. Yeah. Max now officially has the jersey. That's right. That kid is smart. <laughs> that kid is smart. He knows what he's doing. He's got Michael Dixon. Yeah. He's, it's got Michael Dixon written all over. Michael Dixon and Bobby Wagner mm-hmm. are your pro bowlers. That's it. But yep. they got like a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Now, Bobby Wagner was a pro bowler and KJ Wright <laughs> was an alternate. I don't get you that. You know which one is which? Yeah, I do. I, okay. I, I, I just do. want to make sure. Yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson. I See, I don't know why K.J. Wright. I love K.J. Wright. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever interviewed. Been I don't, heard a lot. What, what, why is he an alternate to the Pro know. Bowl? He hasn't even, has he he's, played he's, yet this year? Yes. Has he even gone out on the field? Like know. one game, three games, yeah, whatever three games. it is. I don't get that. Russell Wilson's an alternate. Frank Clark had a hell of a Woo. year. Now, I don't know who made it over him, so may, I don't want to speak out of my rear. Yeah. I guess I could say ass now, now that we're doing a podcast. But Frank Clark looks to looks the part of a pro bowler to me without knowing who in the NFC yeah. got in over him. Tyler Lockett on punt and kick returns. J.R. Sweezy and his return to Seattle is a pro bowl alternate. How about that? Uh, Chris Carson, you know how I feel about oh, him. Yeah, and Bradley McDougal had a great year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can ring the bell. There's your pro bowlers. Um, number five on the laundry list. 
people are defending Sebastian Janikowski. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's starting to irritate me. Okay, it's so. Okay. I, Starting to, I thought it. I thought it did immediately. It was funny after, and cu- no, no, yeah. it was funny and cute because I thought people were kidding. Yeah, and now the more I start to read it, the more I think, oh, he's not paid to make tackle. Okay, uh, I mean, please, please, make an effort. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, you're mad at him for not making that tackle. No, I am not mad at him for not making the tackle. I'm mad at him for not having the courage to just make a little attempt to knock the guy out. And it came the direct play after my a kicker missed, missed an PAT, extra point yeah. in a game that went to overtime. Yeah. If he can push the guy out of bounds, if I said to you right now, percentage chance, if he pushes the guy out of bounds or just slows him down so somebody else can, percent chance that they score a touchdown on that drive yeah, early in the game. Yeah. That probably is uh, just the lack of an effort. Come on. Sure. I, know, I know kickers aren't football players. I'm not a football player. I know. I get it. Just a little. little Have you seen the video? Have I seen the video? I watched your video along with 90,000 other people. Did you realize? That's the... uh, my video, I just took it off a TV. 90,000 views of my video on Twitter. What are you laughing at? I'm, I'm saying, I mean, because it, it, it look ridiculous. I don't even know 90,000 people. I showed everybody in my house like 12 times. I can't stop watching it. Yeah, you know, you start, brutal. it's like four seconds. Yeah. You just keep like, watching he, it over and over again. He's not even going to cut. He's not even, like, he's just going in one direction. He slows down and just keeps. Like, are people really, do you it's know brutal. any kickers? I know a few kickers. So I do actually, I. Yeah, I know a few kickers. I know a few kickers. I actually know a former NFL kicker. Yeah. That I had friend a friend of ours. I had a, I had a conversation with the with this actual topic about does he know you're doing the podcast he does i'm not going to call him out by name why not no i'm not gonna i'm not I gonna love him i'm not gonna call him out i'm just gonna say this everybody knows who you're talking about it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i okay. mean you know there's a there's a lot of steven hauschka's in the world and why would he want to remain <laughs> nameless does he not want to be on the podcast or is it i just didn't forewarn him that i might talk about what he said oh my god you're so nice stop being so nice anywho yeah. anywho yeah we had a conversation about this because I asked him yeah. as a former professional kicker. I said, yeah. what do you think about that effort? He said, hey, two things about that that I think people need to understand. The first is the placement of the kick. The original kick was as good of a professional kick for a coverage team as you're going to get. Okay, that's A. Yeah, I'm doing a gesture. Yeah, that I, I, can do I saw a your gesture. Yeah. The second part that people are so irrelevant. To, I, listen, t- tell listen, listen. Okay, that's a. Okay, B is there were ten other people whose responsibility it was to get the man who caught the ball based on what was deemed as almost a perfect NFL kickoff that doesn't go out of the end zone. Okay, if you're not talking about a touchback, you're talking about a coverage kick. Perfect kick, 10 other guys besides Janikowski that could have made the tackle that were whose job it is to make the tackle. Okay. Now, again, we're talking about a guy who was a kicker. Okay. May I respond? I'm done. Okay. I'm done. My first, I have three remarks. Three. Just three. Get off. Now you're on, now you're on your watch. My you're watch unbe- you're unbelievable. It's buzzing. It was buzzing. Are you like Maxwell Smart? Are you going to take was. your shoe out now and start reading your shoe? My watch is about to sell. I have three remarks. Okay. No, I have four. Okay. Number one, I love the guy that you're talking about. I think he's one of the dearest guys I know. Yep. 
and I haven't talked to him in a long time. So mm-hmm. next time you see him, you'll wish him well. I will. That's number one, and that's and I mean that from the bottom of my heart because now I'm about to skewer him. Okay. <laughs> number two, tell him to keep driving the ball straight. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and keep making putts. Okay. Stick to putts. All right. Stick to running clubs. Yeah. Stick, stick to other All stuff. Right. Okay. All right. All right. Because those two things, by the way, may be 100% true, may have been the world's greatest kick, and it may be everybody else's fault besides him. I, 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 those are the two. That's like the two most irrelevant remarks. They are both true. Ir- they okay. can't even be fr- – they're not even in the same area code in terms of relevance. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're just – it's like two different things. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Great. It was a great kick. I I, I, I I accept that. Yeah. Ten guys ought to be shame. They ought to be ashamed of themselves for missing that for blowing that coverage. Yeah. yeah I get that too. But all of that comes down. Okay. Comes yes. down to those eight feet where you had a How chance. How about making an attempt? Okay. An A T T E M P T. Yeah. That's all I want. Just make an attempt. Mm-hmm to help your team in that situation. I know it's not, you're not paid to do that. Mm -hmm. I know the other 10 guys were supposed to do better. I know your kick was perfect. Mm -hmm. How about now when you're the last guy, make some sort of effort. Make some, don't run out of the way. Just make some sort, that's all I am asking. Okay. Okay, Okay. ring the bell. (sighs) This is the topic you don't want to discuss. The last one of this segment. Is it? Before all the interviews. I don't know what this one is. So I'm, I'm The future of the podcast. Oh, boy. Okay. There is a lot of conjecture. There's a lot of... And I love it. I love the fact that people are talking on... See, I only do Twitter. I don't do Instagram. I'm, sure. Everybody's mad at me. I, everybody who's like advising me are like, mm. why are you not on all these fa- platforms, yeah. Facebooks and Instagrams? I don't know how to do them is the answer to the question. Mm. I know how to do Twitter, so I do it. And so there's a lot... long, And it's at Jason D. Hamilton and at Mitch underscore Seattle. Um, there's a lot of like, seems like angst Mm -hmm. over you're doing too many of them. You're doing not enough of them. (laughs) You're doing them too long. You're doing them too short. You're, uh, you're doing too many patrons. I mean, it's just, it's just, and I like it, but it's, but it's all over the map. It's kind of like the old radio days where I would get off the air and I would have a text or an email, not a text, but it would be an email from yeah. like the website of the station. Sure. And it would be like, that segment that you did today was had to be the most insulting, ri- ri- ridiculous. You st- weren't getting yeah, emails. You get, and then the next email was, that segment was the greatest segment <laughs> I have ever. So, and I would, what yeah. I, you know what I would do is I would take the one email and I did this routinely yeah. and I would send it to the other guy. I would say, hey, Here's what the other guy says. And then I would send the other one to the other guy. And I would say, this is why I can't make decisions in in this Mm, world, in this mm -hmm, life. mm -hmm. Because if you read enough of them, and this is what I'm getting, you're doing too many. You're not doing enough. During non-football season, go dark or do less because we don't care anymore, Mitch. And so I I just want to give this message out. And everybody wants to know, what is your plan? What is your goal? I'm even meeting with people for lunch and they're, they want to be a part of the podcast. And they're like, what, what what, is this? Are you getting back on the radio and what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just enjoying myself with Jay Ham. We're having a beer. Yeah. Right. We're taking pictures that we're not supposed to be taken. (laughs) Um, We're ringing bells (laughs) and we're doing the show. And I really haven't really thought, you know, this, I haven't thought so much of an end game. Yep. But my feeling is, and, and I really trust you on this because you kind of have a better feel for this than I do. The answer is, 
let's just do this Mm -hmm. a couple of times a week the way we're doing it. Let us try to get better at it. Let us shake the rust off, at least me. You're doing great. Um, Let us get our timing, our footing, uh, talk to guests, whatever. And then let's look at the numbers Mm -hmm. and how many people are listening and whether people are now dropping off because the novelty of hearing Mitch is over Mm -hmm. or it's going up because the word is spreading that Mitch is back and he's only on Twitter. And so people are finding out that Mitch is back. Let's just see. And then it's the world of possibilities. Mm -hmm. We can maybe go one more a week. We could go more than one more week. We can scale back to just one a week. We could just do patrons. We could just charge like I wanted to do initially, which you laughed at me. No one wanted me to do. We could just go to patron only and just, hey, have a smaller audience. But it's a a well-knit kind of tight audience Mm -hmm. that wants to pay a few bucks a month for the... I'm open. Or we can quit. You know, we we can do anything. I don't have any... I don't have any kind of... I just want people to hear me say... I don't have an agenda. Sure. I, I'm not trying to get on radio. I'm not, I, I, I maybe, maybe, uh, whatever. I'm not, I'm not close minded to anything. Right. I'm just doing this a couple of times a week yeah. to have fun and to get creative. So is again. this, is this where I, I break the news about the new schedule that we're going to do? <laughs> should I, should I say it now or? Well, you, you have, you <laughs> <laughs> is this, you're making me nervous. Like this, you just took my picture. Is this what? No, I'll save it for another. Okay, episode. you save it. Right, I right. want your opinion on all okay. of this. You all see right. it, you read it. What's your opinion of all this? No, I I think that there's it's across the board, like you said. It's totally across the board. I think if we did if we did one every day, there'd be a ton of people that would be full on and and love that. I think there's some people that say, you know what, I my consumption of of this medium is is you know it's two a week and I I can stay on top of it. Uh, there's a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people. I think the the majority of people say you need to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, but why? I I don't know. I mean I I think that's the you know. But I also think that people and I am not. I appreciate the patrons and the show would would you know, doesn't exist in, in the way that it exists without patrons. But I will say this, the people who are patrons are getting, they're almost getting that anyway. They're getting four or five days a week. It seems like with, with bonus episodes and other content. That well, they're going to be weeks that they don't get anything. Of course. And so what I'm doing on the patrons thing is when something comes up That's and, relevant. and, and, and we, it, we're in between regular shows on yeah. Mondays and Thursdays, like Mr. Postseason. Yep. Um, I throw something on there. There may be weeks that I don't, and, and right. patrons are going to yell and scream, "Hey, I'm paying! I'm paying five dollars right. a month. Where's my stuff?" You know, right. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. But you're a podcast consumer, mm-hmm. not I'm not, mm-hmm. or haven't been. I am now. Um, what about this notion where you start get you you've subscribed to a podcast and you get behind? Yeah, and now there's three, four. They're piling up, five, six, and you're getting like. You're getting sweaty, and the you yeah. know, and you're and you're like, ooh, I, you know, I'm so far behind. Does that does that make you kind of lose your steam to even try to to listen to those well, podcasts? Well, I, I can tell you that anecdotally, I've, I have had friends who have said, "Hey, I'm a patron. I, I'm listening." Sometimes I I love the fact that. Uh, I feel pressure almost or that I, I'm incentivized to want to catch up to see and listen to every episode so that I, I'm on top of it, right? And there's others that I think do it at their own leisure regardless of the content. They they know that the Seahawks game ended. They know that the Huskies play. They know all that. And they still want to go back and listen. But right? I'm asking you. You subscribe to whatever. Give, yeah. me, give me one that you've subscribed to. Yeah, so I mean – Give me one. 
So the most recent one. One that you like. It doesn't matter. It's, it's okay. Yeah. Give me one. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Yeah. Okay. How many? He does a whole bunch of yeah, them, right? Yeah, lots. Do you do you find yourself getting like it's overkill? Like I haven't listened to the last the last I haven't listened to one no. six times ago, and I'm they're just piling up on my phone. So when you get a desire to listen, will you listen to the most recent one? What do you, how do you how do you go about? Let's say you've missed a few, right? And they're in your phone, right? Yeah. They're coming to your phone. I don't feel that pressure. I personally don't. So feel what that. do you listen like tonight? Uh, Dave Asprey. So tonight, Joe Rogan, so, no, like, so tonight I, I, you're driving home yeah. and you decide before you go to sleep, I want to listen to Joe Rogan. Yeah. And let's say you haven't listened to the last six of them. Yeah. Which one will you listen to? How do you decide which of the Joe Rogan episodes that have now piled up into your phone that you haven't heard? Do you go back to the one that I you... typically go back to the one that either where I left off on the oh, last okay. one or the yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Was that I mean, was that worth the last three minutes? It's our choice. Okay, there you go. If it w- if it wasn't worth the last three minutes, yeah, then people are going to write. Hey, go back to one a week, you guys. <laughs> go back to one a week. Yeah. Where'd you have lunch last Thursday? Daniel's Broiler. Yes. And how? Where is it? The new downtown location at the Hyatt Regency. And how pretty? Oh, how man. nice! It's beautiful. Do you like the you like the Hyatt Regency? It's a really big hotel. You were telling me that it's the biggest hotel in the Pacific Northwest, right? Most rooms in the Pacific it Northwest. Is. I actually stayed there this week overnight. You did? I did. And you didn't tell me? I did not. You didn't invite me? Uh, that wasn't my decision. Oh. How were the rooms? Rooms are great. But this isn't a message about it's the not. Hyatt Regency. This is about Daniel's Broiler, a really special place from the artwork to the flooring, to the finishings. Can't wait to go back. The new downtown Seattle Daniels is open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If you live or work downtown, planning an evening downtown, or visiting Seattle, you now have a world-class choice for prime steaks and seafood. And by the way, just down the block from the Paramount Theater on 8th and Howell, and I'm definitely having my next pre-show dinner at Daniels. Just take my advice. If you're looking for a memorable holiday lunch, or dinner for your employees or family. Downtown Seattle, try the all-new Daniels, locally owned by the Schwartz family, located at South Lake Union, Leshaw Marina, and Bellevue Place. Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. It's the best time of year. Two games to go in the NFL season, and Mr. Postseason loves chaos. And that's exactly what we have in both the AFC and in the NFC. Let's begin in the AFC East. The Patriots at 9-5, and five, the Dolphins at 7-7, seven and seven, the two teams split. So if the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about, sorry, Hugh, the Patriots would win the AFC East. Interesting situation. The Dolphins, should they win two and the Patriots lose two, which isn't going to happen, the Dolphins would actually own the tiebreaker because the two teams split and the Dolphins would have, in that scenario, a better record within the division. But the Patriots play the Bills and Jets both in Foxborough, and their magic number is one. One Patriots win, one Dolphins loss. We'll do it again for the Patriots in the AFC East. In the AFC North, the Pittsburgh Steelers are 8-5-1. The Baltimore Ravens are 8-6. Only a half game separates these two teams with two games to play. And how about the two games this weekend? The Steelers are in New Orleans, could lose to the Saints. The Ravens are in Los Angeles, could lose to the Chargers. 
Pittsburgh and Baltimore go down to the wire in the AFC North. In the AFC South, Houston has it under control. If the season ended today, which it doesn't and it's stupid to even talk about, the Houston Texans at 10-4 and would win this division by two games. However, Indianapolis and Tennessee sit at 8-6. and And either one of them with two wins and two Houston Texans losses would win the division. So Houston's magic number in the AFC South is one, and they face the Eagles this week and the Jags to end the season. So if Houston wins one game over the last two weeks, the Texans would be champs of the AFC South. In the AFC West, the Kansas City Chiefs and LA Chargers are dead tied a record-wise 11-3. and And both teams have won on the other team's home field, believe it or not. So they've split the head-to-head matchups. So what happens? Kansas City is 4-1 and one in the division. The Chargers 3-2 and two in the division. So if the two teams end tied, Kansas City would win the tiebreaker. But the Chiefs play the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday night. The Chargers face the Ravens. If the Chargers win two against the Ravens and Broncos and the Chiefs lose one, the Chargers would leapfrog Kansas City for AFC West supremacy. The Chargers are the biggest Seahawks fans in the world, in the universe, on Sunday night rooting for the Seahawks to knock off the Chiefs because remember, and we'll get to it, if the Chargers surpass the Chiefs in the AFC West, they will also go from a wild card, presumably, to the number one overall seed in the AFC and home field advantage all the way through and a bye in the first round. So here's the snapshot of the AFC if the season ended today. The Chiefs are 11-3 and 9-2 in the conference. That's good for number one in the AFC. The Houston Texans are 10-4, winners at this point of the AFC South, and they would be 8-3 against the AFC and the number two seed with a bye. The Patriots, with the loss to the Steelers last week, dropped from number two to number three. That's huge because as of now, the Patriots would have to play an extra game to get to the Super Bowl as the number three seed and a division champion in the AFC, 9-5 and five and 6-4 and four in the conference. And then comes Pittsburgh. The Steelers are 8-5-1 and one, and the fourth seed in the AFC. The number five seed will be wild card number one. The Chargers sitting there at 11-3, and 8-2 and two in the conference, and the Baltimore Ravens at 8-6, and 6-4 six, six and four the conference, win tiebreakers over Indianapolis and Tennessee as of today. However, if the Chargers can somehow win the West, they would go from number five, potentially all the way up to number one, especially if they win their last two. They will go all the way up to number one if the Chiefs should lose to the Seahawks on Sunday night. And that would force the Chiefs out of the number one spot all the way down to number five, having to play on the road in wild card round with no bye. The Houston Texans are trying to hold off the Patriots for that number two seed and that bye in the AFC. Remember, the Patriots beat the Texans in a head-to-head matchup earlier this year. So if the Patriots win both and Houston wins the AFC South but loses one and the Patriots end up with the same record as Houston, Houston would fall to three, not get a bye, and have to play three games to get to the Super Bowl. And then they're the Steelers. Who can figure out the Steelers? The Steelers are sitting there at 8-5-1 and one 
with a gigantic game against the Saints where the Saints are trying to clinch home field advantage all the way through the NFC playoffs. If the Steelers should somehow lose two here and end up 8-7-1, and one, they could fall out of not only the division, but out of the playoffs altogether. And then there's Indianapolis and Tennessee. Both need Houston to lose two to win that division. However, one of the other could end up as a wild card with the two of them facing off against one another in the final game of the season. Both Indianapolis and Tennessee are eight and six. If either one of those teams should win two and Baltimore lose one, then Indianapolis or Tennessee, the door is open for one of those two teams to creep in as a wild card spot. And the Miami Dolphins are at seven and seven, needing lots of help to get into the AFC playoffs. So if the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about, sorry, Hugh, the wild card round would look like this. The Baltimore Ravens, the sixth seed, would face the New England Patriots in Foxborough in wild card weekend game number one. And the Chargers at this moment would face the Steelers in a rematch of a great Sunday night game several weeks ago in the five versus four matchup in wild card game number two in the AFC. And now let's turn our attention to the National Football Conference. We start in the NFC East. The Cowboys got shut out by the Colts last week. What does that mean? Dallas eight and six, Philadelphia seven and seven, Washington seven and seven. Now, when you look at the tiebreak situation between these teams, the Cowboys actually own the tiebreaker because they swept Philadelphia and split with Washington but have a better divisional record than Washington, which means with the one-game lead, the Cowboys have a magic number of one. One win in the last two weeks against either the Tampa Bay Bucks or the New York Giants will win the NFC East and guarantee them one of the top four spots in the NFC. Philadelphia, Washington, both need to win twice to get to 9-7 and seven and get a little help, and Philadelphia and Washington actually play the last game of the regular season in our nation's capital. NFC North has been won. It's been conquered by the Chicago Bears at 10-4. and four. The Bears have the 49ers on the road and the Vikings on the road in the final two weeks of the season to try to improve they're standing in the NFC, but have already won the North. And Minnesota at 7-6-1, firmly in the wild card conversation in the NFC. In the NFC South, the Saints, 12-2, will win the NFC South. Will they be the number one seed in home field advantage all the way through? We'll wait and see. They have a stronghold on that particular prize. The Carolina Panthers are just about out of it at 6-8, and eight, and the NFC West has been won by the Rams. The Rams are trying to get the top seed in the NFC at 11-3, and three, and the Seattle Seahawks are sitting there at 8-6 and six after the disappointing penalty-filled loss to the 49ers. So here's how it looks in the NFC. The Saints at 12-2 and two have the number one seed if the season ended today. Also, the Saints are sitting there with a win in hand over the Rams earlier in the year, which means... Magic number is one for the Saints. One Saints victory over the final two regular season games against the Pittsburgh Steelers and Carolina Panthers would mean home field advantage all the way through for the Saints. The Rams are 11-3 in the two seed with a bye right now, but trying to hold off the Bears. Why? Because the Bears are 10-4, and the Bears, should they tie the Rams for record in the NFC, 
The Bears beat the Rams on that Sunday night in Chicago just a couple of weeks ago. So the Rams are 11-3 with that loss to New Orleans and a loss to Chicago, the number two seed for now. And the Bears are the three seed for now. The Rams will face Arizona on the road and San Francisco at home to finish out the season. And Chicago has the 49ers on the road and the Vikings on the road to finish out the season. And then come the Dallas Cowboys at number four at eight and six. Should the Cowboys win two and the Bears lose two, the Cowboys could go up to the number three and flip-flop with the Bears, which would change, by the way, who the wild card teams in the NFC, namely the Seattle Seahawks, would face in the first round of the playoffs. So it's worth watching who finishes number three and who finishes number four in the NFC. And then there's the craziest scenario, which is a Chicago Bears win out, a Saints lose out, and a Rams loss. The Bears could actually still go all the way up to the number one seed and home field advantage all the way through the playoffs if the Bears win two and get a lot of help from the Saints and from the Rams. The Seattle Seahawks at eight and six, we're going to talk about them. The five seed, the Minnesota Vikings at seven, six, and one. The sixth seed and in the playoffs. And then comes Philadelphia and Washington at seven and seven, both needing help to get into the playoffs. So if the season ended today, the wild card round would look like this. Number six at number three and number five at number four. Six at three would be Minnesota at Chicago today. And five at four would be Seattle at Dallas, which is what Seahawks fans want. But all that can switch. The Seahawks could end up the sixth seed. Unlikely. The Cowboys could end up the third seed. Unlikely. The Bears could fall or go all the way up to number one. Unlikely. Those are the situations today. So let's take a look at the Seattle Seahawks very closely in the final two regular season games against Kansas City and Arizona. There has been a lot of misinformation out there about the Seahawks should they only beat Kansas City. Will they clinch with just a win over Kansas City this Sunday night? The answer to that is technically no. Even though they would have clinched with a win over the 49ers last week, and they will clinch with a win over the Cardinals next week, a win over the AFC Kansas City Chiefs in and of itself actually doesn't clinch a spot for the Seahawks. Why? Well, here's the scenario where a win over Kansas City and a loss to Arizona would do the Seahawks in. It's very, very, very unlikely, says Mr. Postseason, but it still needs to be examined. Let's say the Seahawks beat Kansas City and lose to Arizona. The Seahawks would finish 9-7, and seven, and 7-5 and five in the conference. Minnesota could win two to get to 9-6-1 and one, and wild card number one. That would leave the Seahawks, the Redskins, and the Eagles with potential for wild card number two. What happens if Washington goes 2-0? and oh? That would mean Washington and Seattle for the final spot end up both 9-7. and seven. Both would be 7-5 and five in the conference, and since they didn't play one another this year for head-to-head. The 7-5 and five in the conference is the next tiebreaker, and there is no tiebreaker. Then it goes down to common opponents. They have played five common games, have the Redskins and the Seahawks. Both teams in this scenario 
where the Seahawks beat Kansas City and lose to Arizona, Arizona being a common opponent. Both teams would end up with a 4-1 and one identical record in common opponents. So that means it goes to the next tiebreaker for the final spot in this scenario in the NFC playoffs. The next tiebreaker is strength of victory. Strength of victory is defined as all of your wins, look at the aggregate record of all of your team's wins. So if you take all of the Seahawks wins currently, now this is going to change over the last two weeks. That's why we don't know. But if you take the Seahawks wins and you look at the aggregate record of those teams, it comes out to a winning percentage of .372 as of today. Washington's victims have a winning percentage of .375. So the difference between the two teams is three-tenths of a percentage point as of today. But remember, in this scenario, the Seahawks would beat Kansas City and lose to Arizona. Both of those two results will actually help their strength of victory. Why? Because the Chiefs have a lofty record, so that'll bring it up. And then by losing to Arizona, Arizona would then have a better record, and you beat them earlier, so that actually helps your strength of victory as well. The Redskins would also help their strength of victory with their final two games. One is at Tennessee, and the other is home against Philadelphia. So it is unclear who will win the strength of victory deep tiebreaker between the Redskins and the Seahawks. And that's the reason why anybody who is saying that the Seahawks with a win over Kansas City this Sunday night clinches a playoff spot, technically wrong. We won't know whether that scenario clinches a Seahawks playoff spot until the season concludes and we calculate the strength of victory of both teams. So, in conclusion, how do the Seahawks clinch a playoff spot this weekend? Well, a win over Kansas City and either a Minnesota loss or a Washington loss will do the trick. Why? Because a win over Kansas City means the Seahawks will finish no worse than 9-7. and seven. If Minnesota should lose this week at Detroit, Minnesota could only finish 8-7-1. and one, So that means that the Seahawks don't have to worry about two teams jumping them for the wild card spot at 9-7. and seven. Same goes with Washington if Minnesota wins. If Washington loses their 8th, which is this week in Tennessee and their underdogs by 10 points, by the way, then a Seahawks win over Kansas City plus a Washington loss would also clinch a playoff spot for the Seahawks on Sunday night after Sunday night football should they beat the Chiefs. So let's examine the four possible outcomes with two games to go for the Seahawks. Those four possible outcomes would be win both and finish 10-6, and six, beat Kansas City and lose to Arizona, lose to Kansas City and beat Arizona, or the dreaded 0-2 lose to both teams, and I would highly suggest the Seahawks not do that. The first one is easy. If the Seahawks win both games, they will finish 10-6. and They will be wild card number one and the fifth seed no matter what, no matter how, no matter who. 10-6 and does the trick, wild card number one and the fifth overall seed, and they would face the number four in the NFC on the road in the wild card round, which today is the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, if they beat Kansas City and lose to Arizona, we just talked about that. If they lose to Kansas City and beat Arizona, 
the win over the Cardinals at the end of the season actually clinches the wild card spot because it's an NFC win. Nothing else has to happen between now and the finish line. Now, how do they get wild card number one? Well, beat Arizona and a Minnesota loss would also guarantee them wild card number one because in that case, Minnesota could not finish better than 8-7-1 and one, and their 9-7 and seven with a win over the NFC Cardinals would be wild card number one, five seed in the NFC, and a date at the number four seed in the first round of the playoffs. And now the scenario that no Seahawk fan in the world wants, but we're going to look at it anyway. And that's the dreaded 0-2. Lose to the Chiefs and somehow get upset at home by the Cardinals and Josh Rosen on the final Sunday of the regular season. The Seahawks would then finish 8-8, 7-5 in the conference. If Minnesota wins one, they would do no worse than 8-7-1, which would put them ahead of the Seattle Seahawks. If Washington or Philadelphia went out to get to 9-7, that would be a second NFC team that would finish higher than the Seahawks for the wild card. And remember, those two teams, Washington and Philadelphia, play AFC teams this week and then play each other next week. So if either wins two with Minnesota winning one, that would mean there'd be an 8-7-1 Vikings and there'd be a 9-7 either Redskins or the Eagles and the Seahawks at 8-8 would be out. So an 8-8 eight and eight Seahawks team that stumbles to the finish line on a three-game losing streak would essentially need two of the following three things to happen to get into the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. Minnesota losing both games remaining at Detroit, the Lions, and home against the Bears. Could happen. Washington losing one of its last two at Tennessee and then against the Eagles. Philadelphia losing one of its last two. Houston at home and then at Washington. It could happen. If you look at the percentages, Washington is 86% to lose at least one of its final two, and Philadelphia is 71% to lose at least one of its final two. So if you are thinking the worst, the worst-case scenario for the Seahawks, Here's what you need to root for this weekend. You need to root for the two AFC teams that are facing Washington and Philadelphia and the Detroit Lions that are hosting the Vikings. Washington, again, remember, at Tennessee, 8-6. and six, Tennessee fighting for its life in the AFC. So you're rooting for the Redskins to lose in Tennessee and then Philadelphia hosting the Houston Texans. The Texans trying to stay on top in the AFC South and potentially move up in the AFC hierarchy, you need the Texans to beat the Eagles if you really think the Seahawks are going to finish the season at 8-8. Eight and eight. So there it is, the most complete, comprehensive Mr. Postseason perhaps ever. Mr. Playoffs' little twin brother making him proud. Unfiltered. All right, another guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Delivery orders at Zeke'sPizza.com. Steve Phillips, the former Mets GM, our, our old buddy, great baseball voice of Sirius XM Radio. Hey, Steve, welcome to the land of T-Mobile Park. 
Got to get used to that one. We've been saying Safeco Field for a long time, Steve. It's going to take a lot of getting used to, but uh, I like the bright pink lights that they've got shining at the stadium now. And, and uh, uh, listen, it's the landscape of Major League Baseball. Uh, if, if you pay, we will name it after you is pretty much uh, the way it works. And, and we may see some other stadiums changing names and maybe even locations at some point as well. That wasn't the line from the movie, if they'll pay – They'll name it after you. I don't oh, remember that being enough. <laughs> yeah, well, that well, wasn't in the movie. That, that was uh, not reality. Uh, this, is, this is reality. All right, so we haven't chatted since the last few Mariners moves. The last time you and I talked on the podcast, you said, don't attach Eddie Diaz to a Robbie Cano deal if you're going to trade Diaz, and that's exactly what Jerry did. So let's start right there. Your thoughts on um, him kind of going against that, trying to move Cano's contract and having to having to part with Eddie Diaz to do it. Well, I, I mean, you know, I don't. The reality is, I don't love it from either side, really. I understand that they they get out from Robbie Cano's money to a certain degree, although they had to eat a pretty good chunk. And and I think the reality is that if they had wanted to eat that sort of a chunk of a deal, they might have gotten the Mets to take it anyways, even without getting Diaz coming back in return. I, you know. Brody Von Wagner, the general manager in New York, likes Robbie Cano. He was uh, he represented Cano when he made the deal with Seattle. So there's a connection there. Now the Mets are saying they wouldn't take the money unless they got the closer, uh, and and I know that they're trying to juggle the money. But the Mets took on a significant risk in in Robbie Cano for for five years remaining on that deal. Right. I just wish that 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 Diaz could have brought back the real return of what his value warranted. How about Gene Segura to the Phillies? You and I spoke about Segura. We both, you and I, agree we love Segura. I guess it depends on how you look at J.P. Crawford. Um, some would say it's a salary dump. Others would say Crawford still has some upside to him. Where do you stand on that new young Mariners player, infielder? Yeah, I'm not sure he's going to hit. That's, that's my biggest concern. I, I've, I've not liked what I've seen offensively from him, uh, and so I worry whether or not he's going to hit. Now, I think that, that uh, Seattle really liked him. They liked him more than most people I talked to, so they have some hope that they're going to be able to to get him turned around to be the sort of offensive player that, that uh, I think a lot of people thought he might be coming out of the minor leagues. Um, so I, what I also didn't understand about the deal is why did they have to take Carlos Santana back? I mean, Gene Segura in and of himself was a movable asset without having to take back money. And, and so maybe I know it was some part of it that they moved uh, Nicasio's money and such, but it just didn't, I, none of it made any sense. And I've talked to a number of other executives around the game as to why Seattle took back Carlos Santana's money in the deal. I know why the Phillies wanted to move him right. because they wanted to move Reese Hoskins back into first play, first base. Now, you know, they since have spun him, but now they've turned him into Edwin Encarnacion. And I look at it and think Gene Segura for J.P. Crawford straight up's a deal. And if you want to put the relievers in, my guess is uh, that, that uh, the Phillies would have probably taken you know, some or all of the relievers' money, too. So I don't know. I, I didn't get the Santana piece coming back, but uh, maybe they'll turn it into something better. Well, do you think that Edwin Encarnacion will ever play a game in a Mariner uniform at T-Mobile Park? Do you think Edwin Encarnacion will be able to find T-Mobile Park? And, um, you know, they got a top 100 pick when they flipped Santana for Encarnacion, and they got more salary relief. Um, what do you think they'll do? And, and does, does Encarnacion have any anything left? I'm assuming he's still a, a decent ball player, great hitter, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, still a really good hitter. I mean, you know, he drove in uh, – I mean, he's a 32-homer, you know, 107-RBI guy. I mean, he's still a really good offensive player. 
but no, he won't play for Seattle. I, they're they're going to flip him. I think he ends up in one of three places. He ends up in either Minnesota, Houston, or Tampa Bay. But Seattle's going to have to eat some part of the salary. They're going to have to, you know, they're going to they're going to absorb some of that money uh, and maybe some significant part of it. Uh, but uh, you know, they'll feel like they've saved some on Santana. They'll have saved some on Encarnacion. They bring back another prospect in return and think that maybe. You know, in the long run, it was it was a win because right. they've listen. They've chopped a lot of salary off the overall payroll. Uh, they've reconfigured the roster in a way that that I don't suspect they're going to be very competitive next year. But I do think that that they're repositioning themselves to start to to rebuild the team in a different way. You mean reimagining, right? Yeah, I, I you know <laughs> the the, the uh, that's the word they used, and, and you know, and, and it's funny because back in the day, the Atlanta Braves didn't want to say they were rebuilding, they were reconstructing. I mean, the bottom line is you're tearing it down, you're trying to rebuild it, uh, and you're going to have to use an imagination, uh, you know, like Barney and the you know the, the, the purple dinosaur to you know just imagine. Uh, but you know, I think they're 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 going to they've got more tearing down to do before they build it back up. It looks like I did not expect Barney to get into the conversation. He's not on my list. This is a, a, a you a never fine. know what you get. You never. Know. <laughs> yeah, the over under I think was about eight minutes before we got Barney into the show today. Well, would Barney, <laughs> with the way they're going to look in 2019, would Barney look good in the middle of the Mariners lineup? You know, I've been barking uh, on the podcast. I, I even asked Jason Stark this question. I'll ask you. I, I think we all know the answer. Y- you know, the Mariners are essentially saying to their fan base, of which I'm one, hey. We're breaking this thing down. We're not looking at 19 as much as we're looking at like 21 and 22. We're rebuilding our farm system. We're we're adding prospects. We're getting young again. We're making we're making significant strides for two or three years at the expense of next year. Well, how can they ask us, Steve, then to pay the same ticket price? You know, if they're saying yeah. to us, if they're saying to us, we're looking beyond 19. We're not going to be really competitive in 19. Well, then. How do they expect us to pay the same that we paid for an 89-win team in 2018? That doesn't seem fair to yeah. me. Yeah, I, I, I get that logic. And, and, you know, from a fan's perspective, completely understand. From the club's perspective, they're going to look at it and say, well, there's inflation. So, you know, our expenses are going to go up, and yet we're not going to raise prices necessarily. And uh, I think the other thing that we're looking at is we're going to take those resources – and reinvest them in a way that will allow us to get back to being more competitive more quickly, uh, and and therefore it's all part of the price of doing business. Steve Phillips, how that settle with you? How, uh, how that fit? How that, how that feel? Um, it's not. It's it didn't. It didn't yeah. taste like a nice piece of chocolate cream pie. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> no. uh, Steve no, Phillips, the former GM of the Mets, and his old friend Barney is with us on the uh, on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. All right. So coming out of the winter meetings. What do you think? What's what's most interesting to you? Obviously, we're all waiting on Harper and Machado. What are the storylines now that we've got in and out of Las Vegas without too much harm and difficulty? What is Steve Phillips most interested in? Yeah, I think that, that you know, obviously the Harper Machado sweepstakes are are you know sort of leading the way. Uh, the JT Realmuto, what the Marlins are doing is amazing to me. I mean, at some point, can you make a deal? You know all the teams. Uh, and you know you've got teams who have now looked at it and said, you know what, we're out. We're, we're just we're fed up. We're not going to keep playing the game. So you see the the Braves have said they're out. The Mets went ahead and signed Wilson Ramos. They're out. Uh, and you know they're losing some of the interested parties in it that might be willing to make a deal. And and I think part of it is they're licking the wounds from the Christian Yelich trade 
with the Seattle or with the Milwaukee Brewers last year. You know, they trade Yelich to the Brewers. He goes on to win the National League Most Valuable Player Award. Uh, and Lewis Brinson, the player they got back in return, has been a bit of a bust in his rookie year at the Major League level. So they're feeling like we better get this one right. Uh, and so they're waiting it out, but they may wait too long uh, and lose some of the interested parties in all of this. The Dodgers are a big player, and the Dodgers are a player in just about everything right now. They're in on Bryce Harper, uh, but to get in on Harper, they want to move Puig, Yasiel Puig, or Alex Wood, or Matt Kemp, and there's a chance they could go to the Cincinnati Reds in a deal. If they do that with the Reds, they might bring back Tucker Barnhart in a trade and maybe absorb Homer Bailey's salary because although he's making a lot in cash in 2019, his AAV, the annual average value of his contract, is less than the players they might want to give up, so it will help them according to the luxury tax. Then they could sign a Bryce Harper, which would allow them then to trade Alex Verdugo and maybe Jock Peterson to the Cleveland Indians to possibly get Corey Kluber or Trevor Bauer. So the Dodgers are kind of in the middle of all of this, and they're in on the JT Romuto sweepstakes as well. So I think the Dodgers seem to be the most intriguing team, and they may be the team holding all of this up. There's not going to be a pop quiz on everything you just said right there, is there? I was trying to follow it. It's 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 a lot. It's, there were a lot of plays. <laughs> you might you just... have to play it back in slow motion. Okay, I yeah. will. Maybe backwards. It'll actually you know reveal some sort of a. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So so go ahead and pin the tail. Since we're talking children's stories and children's TV shows today with Steve Phillips, go ahead and pin the tail on the donkey. Pin the team on the free agent with Harper and Machado. You get one shot with each one. Where are they going to end up? All right, so, so here's the thing. I'm going to go Harper uh, to the Dodgers, and, and it may not be for as long a deal as we thought. Dodgers seem to be indicating that, that it may be a shorter deal with the big AAV because here's the thing. The Phillies, who were thought to be in on Harper, did not meet with Bryce Harper in Las Vegas. He lives in Las Vegas. Yeah. If you have interest in Bryce Harper – and he's at a hotel down the street, right. and he's one of your main targets in the offseason, right. you visit with him. I they saw that on Twitter. I, I saw you mention right. that on Twitter, right? So, so maybe that not, means yeah. they're on Machado and yeah. probably not on Harper. Now, the okay. White Sox are on both, but I can't imagine that, they're going to, that that's where Harper wants to go. So I think Harper's a Dodger, and I think Manny Machado, he went to Chicago. He's in New York. He's going to Philadelphia. He's visiting all these different places. If the deal's close, he's going to the Yankees. I think the deal will be close enough. I think he's a Yankee when it's all said and done. And the big winner so far without those deals that are still pending is which team? Give me two teams that are the big winners so far, Steve. You know, I have to tell you, I think the Cleveland Indians are big winners because with the reconfiguration of their roster and moving salary around, they've saved $18 million off their 2019 budget which means they might be able to keep Kluber and Bauer, still add an outfielder and add a reliever and be good to go. And that would be a tremendous remake of their roster, considering they're so much better than everybody else in that division uh, that they put themselves in a great spot to, uh, to be able to move forward. So I, I like where they are. I like what Houston did as well. Houston got Robinson Trinos behind the plate just to sort of hold the spot but they're in a JT Ramuto. They signed Michael Brantley, who I think is a great – I think the deal they got, two years, $32 million for Brantley. When Andrew McCutcheon got three years at $50 million, when A.J. Pollock is looking for five years at $80 million, wow. two years at thirty-two for Brantley is a steal. Uh, and he can play some first base. He can DH a little bit. 
They've got room now to add another big bat, whether that's Nelson Cruz, Edwin Encarnacion, maybe a Daniel Murphy, and still add a catcher and add a pitcher. I think the Astros are poised to still have a great offseason. You know, you mentioned my final question, Nelson Cruz. I know he's not a young guy anymore, but we've watched him closely at Safeco Field, now T-Mobile Park, of course. Um, and I just think somebody's going to sign him for a, a short period of time, and next year he's going to go out and hit 35 home runs for somebody, Steve. Oh, I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. I, I really do believe that as well. So here's, here's what it looks like. You know, the, the Mariners are battling Nelson Cruz market with a potential trade for Edwin Encarnacion. I mean, that's sort of the same group. Edwin can play a little more first base than Cruz can play in the field right now, but they're, they're mostly DHs. Houston, for Nelson Cruz, they're in. The Tampa Bay Rays are in, and the Twins are in. I think those are the three teams that could make uh, a deal with one of those two uh, uh, and, and, uh, when it's all said and done. Uh, I'm just thinking, I'm closing my eyes and remembering some of the Nelson Cruz bombs that he hit in Houston against the Astros as a member of the Mariners. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of these things, I guess it's kind of that ballpark and the way it looks on TV. These the shots that they hit, you know, they look like they go 700 feet, for goodness sakes. But uh, he uh, he would hit a lot of home runs for the Houston Astros. That might be a great – and, of course, he – he had uh, he has great experiences and great memories from uh, playing in the in the state of Texas. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, Nelly Cruz. I'm sure that if he ends up in the division or in the league for that matter, he'll get he'll get a great reception, Steve. And he should when he comes to Seattle, comes back to Seattle, because from all accounts, this guy was not only a really good hitter for a lot of years for the Mariners, but one of the neat people, one of the nicest, everyone says it, people who covered him, his teammates, everyone to a man says that Nelson Cruz is one of the real, genuine good guys in all of Major League Baseball. Oh, no question. Great teammate uh, and great opponent, right? He showed up, he played, he respected the game, treated people with respect, and he produced and treated fans right, treated the media right. Always seemed to he, he loved to play the game. You know, Adrian Beltre, who just retired, always had a smile on his face, and he loved to play the game. And Nelson Cruz loves to play the game too. Now he's not going to be a Hall of Famer, uh, but you're talking about a guy that uh, if he gets parts of two more seasons, and maybe even a big year next year, he could get the 400 home runs in his. Now all the best, same to you, my friend, and uh, to a great 2019 for all of us. Yes. Your family, I know that uh, you're going to do a little bit of traveling. You're going to enjoy the holidays in Connecticut with your with your families, I guess with an S. And uh, I appreciate all that you've done for us here in Seattle over the years with the radio show. Very appreciative, very thankful, and I hope that you have a great holiday season. Now, all the best, same to you, my friend, and uh, to a great 2019 for all of us. Yes. Unfiltered. Football Morning in America on NBCSports.com. He's our old friend Peter King, and he's with us to talk about this crazy jockeying for position in the uh, in the NFL for the playoffs. Peter, this is fascinating this year with two weeks to go. You've got uh, the one that really strikes me is you've got the Chiefs and the Chargers at uh, whatever they are, 11-3. and three. One of those teams looks like it could be the home field advantage all the way through the playoffs and the other one would have to drop all the way down to a five seed and uh, and perhaps go on the road as a wild card for the, for the two or three weeks to get to the Super Bowl. Well, particularly, Mitch, because when you think of going on the road in the playoffs in the AFC, I mean, how about you start in Heinz Field and then maybe your next trip 
is to Foxborough, and then maybe your last trip is to Kansas City or to play the Chargers. I mean, if you're in the AFC right now, you probably are rooting for the Chargers to win the West because the prospect of playing a championship game or any playoff game is significantly tougher, in my opinion, in Kansas City than at the Chargers because that place where the Chargers play, you're going to have half the fan, you're going to have half the fans. You might have more, whereas at Arrowhead, you know, it's all it's like a mini Seattle in terms of you know how loud it is. So, but I think I think the Chiefs are going to hang on, but that also means that I think they're either going one and one or two and zero oh down the stretch. I believe right now that the uh, if you look at it. I think the Ravens give the Chargers a very tough game on Saturday night in L.A. And when you think about it, after that Ravens-Chargers game, we the 12s here love the Seahawks. I'm not sure the 12s will love the Seahawks on Sunday night as much as the Chargers and the Chargers fans will love the Seahawks on, sa- on Sunday night against the Chiefs. That's the game of the year down the stretch right now. But again... I can't go absolutely crazy over it because it looks like both teams are going to make the playoffs. So, right. I, you know, I, I think that that becomes sort of a difficult sell. You know, it's, it's a lot better to have a do-or-die game. Like, I, I would really love, even though this is not going to seem like the greatest game in the world. I know what you're going to say. Tennessee and Indianapolis on the last Sunday. Yes. Yes. Week 17, yeah. Well, I, I kind of hope, I always love to see a win in your in scenario because then that becomes game 256. Yeah. The last regular season game of the, se- of, of the year. And it's just, it's made a lot more fun if that game truly means something. The great Peter King is with us. Uh, the Seahawks stumbled uh, in uh, Santa Clara against the 49ers the other day. Everybody here is hoping that they'll get in the playoffs. And it looks like unless they do something crazy, they'll get into the playoffs. But the debate that's on, I'd love to get your opinion on this, is which is a better matchup for the Seahawks? I'm assuming you like the Seahawks' chances in Dallas against the Cowboys more than you would like the Seahawks' chances at going back to Chicago and beating the Bears in the Windy City. I mean, look, if you if you go to Chicago in January, all bets are off it becomes a survival test and it's not going to be easy for the, for the bears either. It's just that they have the ability to practice in that when, and if they want to, and the Seahawks are no team really, it, you know, alive right now has that ability. I mean, maybe Minnesota, if Minnesota were to choose to practice outside and I don't know what Mike Zimmer's philosophy on that is, uh, I know Bill Belichick believes that if you play in the North Atlantic, you practice in the North Atlantic, and right. you know, you know, you right. you gotta you gotta get used to it. But but in my opinion, I, I think in all ways, uh, I, I think the Cowboys have shown such inconsistency this year. I'd much rather play Dallas than Chicago. Can you imagine, Peter? You said you think the Chiefs will hang on, and I tend to agree with you. It'll depend about that Chargers. Baltimore game but can you imagine I know it's an outside shot if the if the Chargers end up the number one seed in the AFC and the, yeah. and the Rams end up the number one seed somehow in the NFC yeah. 
that here's a city in Los Angeles that a few years ago was waiting for football and the NFL to return, and just a couple of short years later, you've got two teams in temporary homes uh, hosting the playoffs all the way through in their respective conferences. That's an, a, that's an incredible thing that Los Angeles would be kind of the epicenter of the NFL playoffs after all these years. Would be the epicenter. I mean, no question about it. I think the interesting thing would be playing one game at noon Pacific time and then playing the other game at 3.30 Pacific time <laughs> um, and, and playing them within, I don't know, maybe 25 miles of each other, something like that, however far Carson is from uh, the Coliseum. But, you know, I think it's possible. How crazy is it to say this? It's a lot more possible for the Chargers than it is the Rams. I mean, if you watch golf now, golf looks like I, I don't I would never use I would never say he looks scared, but I don't know what in the world is going on with him. It looks like he totally lost his mojo uh, last three games, one touchdown, seven interceptions. And he looked absolutely terrible and cowed by uh, that uh, pass rush of the Eagles the other night. That is not a good sign because if. Sean McVay doesn't have a good trigger man to yeah. play yeah. in his offense. Yeah. He can't work. Yeah. He needs his quarterback to make five or six or seven plays a game, and he doesn't have that right now. The Saints won the other night uh, a difficult game in Carolina. They also didn't play their best the week previous. I think that was in Tampa. Uh, a lot of people believe here, heading down the stretch, the Saints are the best and most complete team in the NFL, playing good defense and, of course, Drew Brees. Would you agree with that sentiment, or is there somebody else that's caught your eye? Saints are the best defense in football right now. I mean, Chicago's close, but um, Chicago also might have an injury to Eddie Jackson, and he is vital to their back end. But the Saints have shored up a secondary. I mean, I never in a million years thought getting Eli Apple would have helped them but getting Eli Apple has really helped this team he's playing much better uh at corner uh with the Saints than he did with the Giants that's turning out to be an extremely good move uh for the for the Saints and the Giants basically just gave him away here's the thing I would say about them not looking good and especially not looking good against Carolina just remember one thing Carolina and the Saints hate each other as much as any two teams in football hate each other. Really? And they have they have a what I, almost a vicious rivalry. When they play, if both teams are fairly healthy, it's going to be a knockdown dragout. Now, I was surprised it wasn't very high scoring, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that, that Cam Newton is just not right. And so I, I look at I look at the Saints now. I think they're the best team because they can win a 12 to nine game, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and they have not been able to win, even when they were great, you know, and won the Super Bowl. they couldn't win games 12 to nine. I think they can now because of the strength of that defense. I know uh, you've got to run and the wind is, is catching us here in the midst of the segment. So I'll ask one last question and let you go. That Saints team, by the way. Yeah, we know that they can win 31 30. That's a great point. Now they can win 12 to nine. Um, before you go, what are the fascinating, from your standpoint, what are the fascinating coaching stories these last couple of weeks? I'm assuming that a lot of coaches, their fate has been sealed one way or the other. Are there any coaches in your estimation that are kind of hanging 
in the balance and and owners and general managers are waiting to see what happens these last couple of weeks, Peter? Yeah, I think in Denver, Vance Joseph is in is in danger. He'd have to have a great last two weeks, I think, to survive. Steve Wilkes, surprisingly, is in trouble in Arizona. He could be a one-and-done. Um, the Cleveland situation is totally fascinating because, Mitch, look at look at what happens right now with a team that is playing better than anybody thought since they made the uh, switch to Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens yeah. as offensive coordinator. Baker yeah. Mayfield died and gone to heaven right. under Freddie Kitchens. So those are the ones that probably interest me the most. We know that Tampa's making a change. We know the Jets are making a change. But I, I think I think the Cleveland one right now is really the most interesting one out there. Peter, have a great day. Have a great weekend. Enjoy weekend number 16 in the NFL. Hey, Mitch, thanks a lot. You have a good one, too. Okay. Peter King right there. You know, it's been a couple of years since Land Rover produced the Defender, but it's coming back, and it's really spectacular. The order list is filling up at Jag Land Rover of Bellevue, but Al and Dimitri have both promised me that listeners of the Mitch Unfiltered podcast go straight to the front of the line. Just read the latest road and track piece on their most highly anticipated 2019 vehicles, and there she is, the Land Rover Defender. Road and Track says it will still be an aluminum body truck with off-road chops, but this time it'll ride on the same unibody platform as a Range Rover. And you can't beat Land Rover of Bellevue. All I've driven in the last 12 years, vehicles I've either leased or owned from this great dealership, the sales squad is incredible without the stress, without the stressful environment. The service department is the best. They've got a great pre-owned selection, by the way. Check them out this holiday season. Just off of 520 on Northeast 20th Street in Bellevue, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. Hi, joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, one of the truly terrific college basketball insiders joining us on Mitch Unfiltered, CBS, CBS Sports Cable Network, the podcast College Hoops Today. What is it that this guy doesn't do? He's the hardest working man in show business. John Rothstein is with us. Mitch, great to be with you. Happy holidays to you and everybody out there in Seattle. Hey, John, you were the first to report it, so let's get right to it. The name is Quade Green, an All-American who went to Kentucky but became disenchanted with his role this year in his sophomore season and has decided to transfer. You had it on your Twitter that he visited the University of Washington earlier this week. Pick up the story from there. Well, Quade Green had a longstanding relationship with Mike Hopkins when Mike Hopkins was, you know, at Syracuse. And Quade Green, you know, opted to leave the University of Kentucky, you know, last week and transfer elsewhere. And you know, he visited the Huskies earlier this week. From everybody around Quade's camp, I think people think that Washington's a heavy front runner to land his services. So it's a fresh start. It's away from his home in Philadelphia, and it's obviously far away from Lexington, Kentucky. John, uh, tell everybody about Quade Green, the player. Guard for Kentucky, Sweet 16 team a year ago, was in and out of the starting lineup. Uh, what kind of addition? Five, five-star kind of McDonald's All-American from a, from a year ago. No, he was a highly touted kid coming out of high school in AAU. But, you know, let's face it. I mean, a year ago, Kentucky, he was overshadowed by the emergence of Shea Gildas-Alexander, who played his way into the lottery in last June's NBA draft. And it was pretty clear that John Calipari was more comfortable 
this season with both Ashton Hagens and Emmanuel quickly on the floor instead of him. So Quade has got something to prove in terms of, you know, resurrecting his career. This is somebody who, you know, was highly thought of in that recruiting class when he was coming out of high school. And this is somebody who for the first time in his life is dealing with legitimate adversity, but a very good shooter, a very steady player. We'll see, obviously, if he gets a new setting, if he can become an impactful college player. Who will Hopkins be bumping his head with? Uh, will it be his old boss in Syracuse, or what other schools around the country no, do you figure will be in the mix? You know, to be honest, Mitch, everything, you know, I'm talking to from different sources is that, you know, Washington was the front runner. Quaddy was going to visit Washington first. And then if he took other visits, you know, that information would come out at a later time. So Washington was in good shape with this from the get go. We'll see, obviously, between now and when this comes out, if it transpires, I think Quaddy winds up committing. College basketball insider John Rothstein from uh, CBS and CBS Sports Cable Network and the podcast College Hoops today. While we're on the topic of the UW, John, uh, they've played a pretty good out-of-conference schedule, haven't beaten anybody, but have yep. loaded themselves up with some non-conference opponents. The Pac-12 is weak. We all know that. Um, what's the state of the UW, and how many Pac-12 victories does it take? 12? What's the magic number? Is it 12 or 13 or 14 this year in the Pac-12, do you think? You know, I have talked you know, at length with Mike Hopkins and his staff throughout the offseason about the importance of playing the type of schedule that the Huskies have played here out of the gate. I mean, they put themselves in situations to get marquee wins. They lose in the final seconds at Gonzaga. They lose to a good Virginia Tech team last weekend in Atlantic City. And, you know, they also were in a situation where they had a game, I think, really, you know, in the final stages of securing a victory against Minnesota. Yeah. But, you know, Gabe, Gabe Kalisher from Minnesota makes a three in the final seconds to – give the Gophers a win. They also lost, obviously, to Auburn as one of the best teams in the country, a top-ten team. So what you're dealing with right now in the Pac-12 is what programs, you know, normally deal with if they're a heavy favorite in the Mountain West or if they're in a mid-major conference where if you go through your conference schedule, you're not going to find many opponents who are considered to be NCAA tournament teams. So what does that do? If you're playing an 18-game league schedule and you only have four games against potential NCAA tournament teams, you only have four opportunities potentially right. to get quad one victories. Right. And that also means that the other 14 games, if you don't win them, they're not just going to do nothing for you if they win because they won't be a right. quad one win. Right. They also will be classified as a bad loss. So I think it's a very difficult time for the Pac-12. I think without a vintage Sean Miller team in Arizona, it really diminishes the stature of the entire league. And I think that this is a transitional year in Tucson. I think they'll be back next season. But for all intents and purposes, you know, the Pac-12 got three teams in the NCAA tournament last year. Two were in the first four. The other was Arizona. You know, I think if the Pac-12 were to get three teams in the NCAA tournament in 2019, I'd be very surprised. By the way, John, what's your feeling on this new NET or NET, as they call it, versus the RPI? Is the is the committee truly going to ignore the RPI numbers, or are they going to use both metrics? Well, you know, NET is going to be more pronounced, but this is something that, you know, and I've been covering college basketball for a long time. It's my ninth season at CBS. When you're evaluating, teams for the NCAA tournament, and this is the best thing to remember because this is really what makes the difference. Has a team beaten teams who are projected to be in the field? And that's the best way to really look at it. 
because that is really what moves the needle. There are other things, obviously, that go into consideration when you're looking at, you know, what credentials are going to be, but that is still the thing that carries the most weight. Who have you played? Where have you beaten them? Are they going to be projected to be in the NCAA tournament? And that is why the games that we mentioned, Auburn, Minnesota, Gonzaga, Virginia Tech, golden opportunities for Washington that they didn't capitalize on. So if you take care of business against Sacramento State and Fullerton and you're nine and four, I think if you're nine and four, you've played a good schedule, you've beaten a couple of good mid-majors. I think if you're Mike Hopkins and Dave Rice and company and you're heading to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament, I would say I would only be sleeping well if Washington goes 14 and four in the Pac-12. That's a big number. That's a lofty expectation. A couple last ones for John Rothstein. Does a great job. A college basketball insider for CBS Sports. You like the WCC this year much more than just the two heavyweights at the top, I noticed in some of your your tweets. It's a different year in the WCC. And how do you view how good this Gonzaga team is compared to all of Mark Few's teams in the last eight or ten years, John? Yeah, it's an interesting question because Mark Few's had such great players. I, I think the one thing about this team that's different than past years is you think about the Gonzaga teams that were highly seeded in the NCAA tournament. 2013, they had Kelly Olynyk. 2017, they had Shemit Karnowski. And I know Killian Tilly isn't playing yet, but this team has more players who can play multiple positions. And you've seen that with the alignment that they've used with Hachimura and Clark mm-hmm. up front at four and five. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit more positionless feel to this Gonzaga teams than Gonzaga teams in your past. So Gonzaga, to me, I would expect them to obviously roll out wins in their next couple of non-conference games, and there's a legitimate chance, you know, Gonzaga's not going to play a high-major opponent until Selection Sunday that Gonzaga could win every one of its remaining games and be 31-2 and entering the NCAA tournament. Is that a two-bid conference, a three-bid conference? You like Loyola Marymount, obviously. You like St. Mary's. How many come from the WCC this year, John? Well, we got we got to look right now at what these teams are going to do from a non-conference perspective. And this is what's important for people to understand as they're evaluating college basketball. It's not so much where you finish in your conference. That has no bearing on if you're going to make the NCAA tournament. Loyola Marymount or San Francisco or San Diego or any team that wants to have a chance to play in the NCAA tournament has to maximize their opportunities against Gonzaga in league play and get a victory over the Bulldogs if they hope to make the NCAA tournament because San Francisco and San Diego aren't really competing with St. Mary's and BYU right. to make the NCAA tournament. Right, right. They're competing with they're competing with Iowa. Yeah. They're competing with yeah. Clemson. Yeah. They're competing with Providence and St. John's. And that's right now what the college basketball fan needs to understand. Like there was a lot of talk out on the West Coast last year. Will USC finish second in the Pac-12? They should be in the NCAA tournament. But their best win last year was against New Mexico State on a neutral court in the Diamond Head Classic. That doesn't move the needle. Mm -hmm. Two last ones for you, John. These Duke freshmen, everybody's captivated by these guys. They may very well be numbers one, two, and three in the NBA draft in June. But the question is, can they get it together, playing good basketball now? We'll see what happens in the ACC tournament as they kind of become late-year freshmen and kind of sophomores. Can they put it together in March and cut the nets down, do you think, this Duke Blue Devil team? Well, it's funny that you brought that up. You know, I talked to Mike Krzyzewski last week, and, you know, one of the things we spoke about was how this Duke freshman class of Jones, Reddish, Barrett, and Williamson – 
is undertaking more responsibility than any other Duke freshman class that he's ever had. Now, a lot of people say, well, the 2014-15 team won a national title with all one and done. That's not even close to being accurate. Quinn Cook was the starter on that team and the most valuable player in the program. If you talk to people who were on that Duke staff, they also had Emil Jefferson and Matt Jones. Matt Jones was their best player on an Elite Eight in an Elite Eight win over Gonzaga that year. And they also, a year ago, if you think about it, they started four freshmen on a team that lost in the Elite Eight to Kansas and Trayvon Duval, Gary Trent Jr., Marvin Bagley III, and Wendell Carter. But the fifth starter on Duke's team last year was Grayson Allen, who was a player at one point in his career who was looked at as a bona fide National Player of the Year candidate. Mm-hmm. So this right now is uncharted territory for Duke's program. Last question, John. Um, when you look at the the landscape of college basketball, it's always fun to see a few different names of teams. Sure. And uh, I think it's nice to see a Buffalo, even though they had a nice run last year, as we all recall. You see Furman, who's been in the NCAA tournament. Even in Nebraska, who comes from a big conference, but you don't think of them as being a college basketball top 25 team. Um they, they add a, an, an extra little spice, some of these uh, not-so-often names that we're seeing in the top 25. No, for sure. And, you know, one of the things that is, you know, going to, I think, come to fruition as we get into March is because we're seeing teams schedule more aggressively in the non-conference portion of the schedule and because we're seeing the Big Ten go to 20 league games and because we're going to see the ACC go to 20 league games next year, it's going to be harder and harder for mid-major teams to put together a resume that's going to warrant that large bid to the NCAA tournament. So what does that mean? The pressure on the teams that you just mentioned, even if they ran through their, non, their non-conference and conference slate like a chainsaw through butter, is not going to have as much of an effect on them in their conference tournament. Furman, Lipscomb, Buffalo all look like teams that could be the next Loyola Chicago. But if they're not perfect or close to perfect for three days in March, they probably won't get that opportunity. CBS Television, CBS Sports Cable Network, the podcast College Hoops Today, one of the terrific college basketball insiders, John Rothstein, joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks, John. Anytime, Mitch. Happy holidays. So it's Sunday night, and you're craving a Seahawks victory over the Chiefs, a nice slice of pizza, and maybe a craft beer. Where are you heading? I got an idea. My hand is raised. 14 locations of Zeke's Pizza. Zeke's is the Northwest homegrown pizza company founded in Queen Anne in 1993 and celebrating the adventurous spirit and natural affinity for craftsmanship that makes the Northwest great. What is a Northwest-style pizza? Well, dough with a sourdough bite. Toppings are full throttle on flavor, creative and different without ever losing respect for the classics. The attention to detail is noticeable, and Zeke's dough is made every morning in its kitchen on Finney Ridge. Delivered fresh daily to each of the 14 locations, every pizza is hand-tossed. If you want to watch Sunday night's Seahawks-Chiefs game with a fabulous pizza and craft beer or two, it's an easy call. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. So what would you think of all the guests today? How would you like the conversations? 
It is a plethora of information. What would you think of John Rothstein and what he had to He's say? He's good. John, yeah. I, I'll tell you this. John Rothstein, actually... When he gets into March, because he's not one of the main, main, main guys. He's not Seth Davis. He's not on the – but when he does his thing throughout the course of the the year on CBS and right. the additional CBS networks, um, you know, I, I like to listen to him. He's, he's, got a, he's got a good ear for the game. Okay, so before we started recording and before we finish for today, episode number nine, yep. I asked some people – I asked on the Twitter, and I'm going to do this regularly. I just didn't do it in enough time. I didn't give people enough time to tweet us some questions or comments that we can, because we don't have a telephone line. We can't right. go to the, you know, longtime listener, first time caller. We can't go to the yeah. the phone lines. I guess we could someday. We need to do a full show where we're just taking the whole episode. Can do that. Yeah. We could also go live on like one of the platforms right. and do it live yeah. and then put a phone in and figure yeah. that out. We yeah. can probably figure that out yeah. too. Periscope. There's lots of uh, opportunities. We'll see. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to throw some of these out. You answer some of these questions. And if you want my, I'm just going to throw some of the things that people are asking. People are asking about dogs, football signings. We've done that, mm -hmm. right? Um, how does doing a podcast work, Jason? You have an office with equipment. And how long did it take you to learn it all? It's all well done with music and everything. Maybe it's from your producer days, Mitch. That's a Mitch question. Yeah. Um, so how does a podcast work? You want to take that? No. You, that's, that's your deal. Well, we have this equipment. You can look at the pictures. I've sent pictures out. And I, by the way, I tweeted on at uh, Jason D. Hamilton a picture of Mitch Levy behind, behind the mic, behind the board, behind the computer. Uh, so if you really want to get a sense of- the, This is not going the, on the air. The, so the you can <laughs> Remember, oh, everything about that is, picture is getting is going to be oh, on the editing floor. So good, just so you know. Yeah, uh, Mitch and Jason, uh, Darren Henny wants to know: Will you sing the Twelve Days of Christmas? Uh, that would be a no. Uh, Nick Allen wants to know on NCAA football playoff expansion: Do you think it's fair to eliminate preseason polls until after week four or five to keep rankings as honest as possible? I know the Blue Bloods might still be up there, but there should be rules for all, including playing a nine-game conference schedule. So let's let's take away the nine-game conference schedule conversation for a second. I, I, I agree with preseason polls are a media marketing, yeah. money-making conversation. They shouldn't have them early in the year, period, period, point blank. They just shouldn't exist because we saw, at least in college basketball this year, we saw the new net, the NET, when they brought it out the first week and who was up there. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Ohio State yeah, number one. Yeah, it was, yeah. Just, it was ridiculous. You yeah. need to have some data and you need to have some eye tests before, in any sport, yeah. before you get there. Rush Rees wants to know the importance on the Pac-12 winning its bowl games this year. Important or not important? Important. And they were 1-8 last year. One and eight nationally, they're getting trounced, and you can say whatever you want about bowl games don't matter, and it, yeah. uh, which is about what you were going to say, wasn't it? You no, were, yeah, you were. No, I just think the conference is in such disarray. Any pub, any good pub right now is huge. They need some good pub. Well, Arizona State already lost, right. so they need they need to get on their horse. Uh, Stan wants to know: Was I the only one who couldn't stop watching Long John Daly and Little John Daly this weekend on the golf course? They had that father son. You ever yeah. watch that father son in Naples? Thing? You, usually, I do. I didn't see it this this past weekend because I was on the the trip from hell all the way from Seattle to Atlantic City and back, so yeah. I, I missed a lot of the golf. But um, yeah, I know there are. Spectacle. I didn't watch, and I normally do watch, because I like watching Jack Nicklaus. Mm. In the old days, and when I say the old days, like 15 years ago, when this tournament was first born, he would he would play with his sons. 
Yeah, Jackie. And I and I grew up with the Suns. Mm-hmm. Did I ever tell you that? You did. You probably yeah. heard that before. Yeah. I grew up with the boys and um, and Nan, the the one daughter. And um, I didn't see it this time, but it does bring back one of my favorite Jack Nicholas. I do have a Jack Nicholas story. Yeah, and people many. have a- people have asked <laughs> people have asked me, "Are you going to start telling some of the old stories again?" Mm-hmm. And so this guy kind of reminds me of my my Jack Nicholas story, and I, I can share it with you if you'd like. So. I was a little tennis player when I was a kid. Okay. My dad put a tennis racket in my hand when I was like two years old, and mm-hmm. I played tennis, and I was one of these little kids who played competitive tennis, and it was ridiculous and stupid. And um, and as I grew older and played more and more tennis, I yeah. got burned out. I was on the yeah. tennis team. I got burned out. Yeah. And, and all in the same breath, the, the kids that played golf at my school were the cool kids because it was the Nicholas school right nowhere else was it cool to play golf but, in the 1970s but at, the at this school. at this school mm-hmm. it was called Benjamin but it was kind of the Nicholas school mm-hmm. it was known as the Nicholas school you played golf if you played golf on that team I mean all five of the so like seven or eight of the ten guys on the team were all division one wow. scholarship yeah. player we were one of the best teams in the country yeah. okay and all I wanted to do was play golf mm-hmm and I was playing tennis. And my dad and mom, they never gave me a golf lesson. I had to teach myself. I played this banana ball out to the left. I didn't. I tried to teach myself how to play golf. And I tried to make the team, and I couldn't make the team. Mm-hmm. And then I quit cold turkey, the tennis team, my senior year. Did you tell your mom and dad that you were quitting? I quit. I quit. And I told him I quit, and my dad was livid. Yeah. He was pissed. Yeah. Because I was the 10th man, ladies and gentlemen, on the 10-man Benjamin Golf, golf team. team, yes. But you made it. I made it. I was one of the 10 guys. I was 10th. Yeah. And my buddy was ninth, and he was a lot better than me. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a lot better than me. Yeah. And uh, eighth was like, you know, twice as good sure, as me, right? Sure, And the problem was is that in matches, only five guys played. <laughs> and the way it worked was you had to, you had to qualify. You had to qualify yeah. uh, to play in the match mm-hmm. that week. So there was Monday qualifying for the matches that we played that week. And it was at Frenchman's Creek, a little pl- a place in Florida, and we'd come out, and I would finish 10th every single time. Mm-hmm. And not, not close. Mm-hmm. I'd shoot 56, 55, 54. Our top guys, our top five were shooting under par. I mean, under par. Yeah, they, really? this was a great, great team. Okay. One went to Ohio State, one went to Auburn, one went to Florida, one went to North Carolina. I mean, these guys went to division big time school, golfers. yeah, yeah. And one Monday, uh-oh, there was a there was a, a a trip, a field trip. One of the classes that had a lot of our golfers was in a field trip during school day, and they didn't make it back <laughs> for Monday qualifying. <laughs> okay, this uh, is getting good. And there were this six is guys. Getting good, yes. There were six guys for five spots. Come in on, Monday Mitch. morning qualifying. Come on, Mitch, I'm rooting for and you. And after school Monday, we went in, and six guys for five spots. And I think Come on. my buddy's probably going to listen to this podcast. I hope I haven't got this wrong, but I think he was the one I beat. Yeah, I finished fifth out of six, and I was going to play against St. Andrews in my one and only golf match of my life. Yes, of my high, high school, school career. Life. Yeah, right. and come on, I'd arrived. Come on, so we um, went to St. Andrews, yes. and the guy who happened to finish fourth that day in qualifying was Gary Nicholas. He finished fourth. 
on your team or on no on St. our team? Andrews? Okay, no, no, okay, no. We okay. hadn't got there. Oh, yet. you hadn't paired up. This yet. was okay, just this okay. was just the qualifying for okay. who was going to be the five to play All against right. St. Andrews. Gary Nicholas is four. He's four. I'm playing five. Yeah. Okay. And this is nineteen. This is like 1984-85. Okay. Okay. So the Golden Bear. Oh, he's. This is pre. Okay. This, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we go to Boca Raton, Florida, and we play St. Andrews. It's my only. I am. I am crapping a brick. Yes. Okay. I've never played in a match before. I'm a tennis guy. I play a banana ball. I don't know what I'm doing. And Jack Nicholas and everybody's out. Nicholas is out there. Barbara. Jack's out there. Barbara's out there. Everybody. Everybody's out there. And this is a true story. And you can go back. Um. Gary Nicholas, yes, who at that point I think was a sophomore. I was a senior. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated that year. He was on the cover. It was called "The Heir to the Bear." You can look it oh, up. Oh, that's horrible. Okay, so he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. So he would go out, and people would show up to a high school Junior, golf match. Yeah. A high school golf match to because watch a. Him. A, they got to see him, and B, Jack, was Jack would at, be around, right. yeah. and he would be sitting on his little umbrella. He had an umbrella yeah. seat, okay? Yeah. So I get up there, and I'm playing fifth, so he's <laughs> playing fourth, and Gary goes out fourth, and there's like- A good gallery. There's like 50, 75 people yeah. around Gary and Jack, and they're walking down the fairway. Yeah. There's no ropes or anything. Yeah, sure. Just walking down the fairway, down one, he's in the middle of the fairway, and we're left to tee off. The final group is on the tee. <laughs> Mitch, little Mitch Levy is going to play in his only golf deal. And as I said, I played a banana ball. I didn't know how to hit it straight. Oh my gosh. I'm really nervous right now. I'm really <laughs> I didn't nervous. know how to hit it straight. So they're in the fairway. Oh my gosh. They're in the fairway. And I'm played against this little this little runt from St. Andrews uh-huh. who probably can't hit it out of his shadow either. And uh, I just decide, you know what? It's just too embarrassing to aim straight left and try to slice it into the fairway. Because I Jason. When I say I would aim 90 degrees left, this is how far I would slice it. And I would hit it. It would end up going 270 yards, but it would only go yeah. 160 yards because it would all be in a curve. Yes. I was just too embarrassed to let this little kid see me do that on my first shot of my only match. Oh, my gosh. So I decided, you know what? If I hit it out of bounds right, I hit it out of bounds right. I'm going to aim down the middle, though. I'm going to look like a golfer. For one shot, I'm going to look like a golfer. And I know it's going to slice and it's going to go all the way to the right. And I aimed down the middle and I uncorked the best drive <laughs> I had ever hit right into Gary Nicholas's and Jack Nicholas's group. Right Bombed into them. it. Right into their group. I see 50 people like pigeons running around like, what the hell? You know, I didn't even yell four. I was so shocked I didn't even yell bombed four. It. I bombed it right down the middle. Love it. Right into their group. And this kid's like thought I was good. I wasn't good. And so I get to the I get to the fairway. We're waiting for the the Nicholas group to clear the green. Yeah. And there's like 40 people around the green watching them all put out. They put out, they go to the second hole, and one guy stays back. Jack is pissed. <laughs> you hit into him. And so Everybody from Gary's group and all the gallery go to the second hole, and Jack is just standing there staring back at me. No, this is not true. It's true. It's true. And uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I I probably dribbled the next one and yeah, dribbled the following right. one and dribbled the next one. And uh, I got up there and, hey, Mitch, would you watch out? You're going to kill somebody. <laughs> It 
And that, that was my that, one and only. Go- yeah. Fantastic. I got scolded by the greatest. That's my 15 minutes of 15 seconds of fame, whatever it is. Yeah. That's it. I got scolded by the greatest of all time. So here's my question to you. And I shot, by the way, ask me what I shot. Yeah, you shot 71. I may have, on, I may have cut off se- nine. a nine. I think yeah. I got like, I think it was in the 60s though. I lost to the kid big. And uh, yeah, yeah, I got scolded by by the golden That's good. Man. That's yeah. good. Hey, yeah. that's a quality story. I, I, you know, I stay for the Jack Nicholas stories. I stay for those. I got to say, I'll, I will say this about Jack Nicholas. not that anybody cares. Jack Nicholas, whatever you think of him, he was the most impressive in terms of being at his kids' events. Mm. This guy was unbelievable. He had, he had all kinds of kids. He had five, five kids, four, four boys and a girl. Mm-hmm. He was at every event. Every event. He could be playing a PGA Tour event in Georgia or wherever. He would fly home in between rounds to come see a junior varsity basketball game Mm -hmm. or wherever we were. Wherever we were. We could be in Pahokee. We could be in the Glades. We could be in Miami. We could be anywhere. Jack Nicklaus was always there to see everything his kids ever did, no matter what was going on in his world. It was amazing. Mm. It was amazing. Cool story. Anyway, that's it. That's it. You can ring the bell. Um, we didn't do the tail of the tape. That'll be for patrons only. Okay. How many? What percentage of the people actually stayed around and long enough to hear the Jack Nicholas story? About four or five percent. Uh, no or, people total. That's it. <laughs> that's it. So more. There were more out there following yeah, they, Gary. They, they were. There was more in yeah, Gary's sorry. gallery that actually yeah. just heard that yeah. story. All right. Um, that's podcast number nine. Oh, I should say we're going to do podcast ten after the Chiefs and Seahawks Sunday Nighter to drop on Monday. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be here for that You're going to be here for that one. You're going to figure out a way. I don't know. Because then we're dark for 10 days. I'm going. We're not doing, listen, we're not doing any podcasts after that. I'm going to that game. It's a night game. I'm not going to work the next day. It's going to be a real struggle to be here. Not because I don't love you. That's going to be tough. You're going to be here. It's going to be make it good. It's going to make it I'm better not, that I'm you're I, struggling. Ooh. I want you to be struggling. Whew. I want you to be str- what? I mean, you can't go to a ball game and 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 be be functional after the ball That's game. That's not what I'm saying. What are you? What are you? 18, 19 I'm not, I'm not years saying old. That. I'm saying I'm, I'm. I actually, it's because I'm so old. Yeah. That I just you know I you know I can't do many things during one day. Yeah. And and, and you know. Yeah. Yeah. Ball game and then come and do a podcast. That's that's a lot. What I can Tune in on Monday. You'll be on the podcast. Mm, I'll be It'll be episode number 10. It'll be our last one of the year, of the calendar year. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go dark and let everybody have the holidays and the new year. And we'll come back ready and re, re-energized and reinvigorated for hopefully a postseason run yes. by your Seattle Seahawks.